There is nothing more powerful that's going to come from this stage than hearing he has done what he came to done, okay? So, hey, good morning. My name is Jason. I'm the lead pastor here. I just want to welcome you guys in this space, and I want to thank you guys for choosing to, to make Wellhouse your home this morning for Easter. And the thing is, Chris kind of said this, we don't care if this is your first time ever in church, this is your first time back since last Easter. Uh, we don't care if you've been here since day one. We used to meet in this little place called Rivergate Skate Center, and, and uh, we just want you to know that you are in welcomed space, you are in a space that there is zero expectation on you today. I know that sometimes somebody asked me this morning, they said, are you nervous? It's like the Super Bowl of church. And I said, no. I said, because we create an atmosphere here where we don't want every, we don't ever want anyone want to feel nervous about church. We want you to feel comfortable, so we don't care what you did last night. We don't care what you did last week. We want you to feel at home today. So there's no expectation on you today. If you're a, a visitor, a guest, uh, we want you to know we're not going to pass stuff around and have you do things that you're not ready or comfortable or understand. We just want you to be relaxed and welcomed into this space. And we believe that when we create those spaces, God will do something. God will cause curiosities and questions, and he will do what he wants to on his own time. And there's nothing, again, more important for you to hear this morning that we are a community of imperfect people. And so part of that expectation of us not expecting anything from you is don't expect us to be perfect either, and we're going to get along fine. But we are so, so glad that you guys are a part of our morning. I do want to plug something, and then we're going to kind of get to uh, telling the story of the resurrection this morning. Uh, if you're wondering about who we are as a church, let me give you uh, one big piece. We have a couple pieces. We try to simplify church as much as we can. But one of the things we do strive to do is we strive to be a generous church. Uh, we love to give away money. We love to give away our time and our resource. In fact, our goal is to always give away way more than we keep. And so one of the ways that we do that is we organize what we call a house party. Uh, you're going to see today we try to have a lot of fun whenever we do whatever it is that we do, uh, whether it's worship or whether it's serving in our communities, whether it's our house groups. We are a body of people that love to have fun. In fact, every Sunday morning we meet out here at 920 or so and, and we pray. The very last thing I tell our welcome crew and our setup crew and everybody else that's here early, I tell them, have fun. And so one of the things that we do when we go out and serve our community, we call them parties. And so on April 28th, mark your calendar, that's a Saturday morning, we're going to have a community house party. It's our spring house party, and here's what that means. We're going to divide up, and you're going to be able to sign up starting next week to just go out in the community and serve. And you're going to laugh and have a good time and play loud music if you can, but you're going to go serve and love on our community with zero strings attached. Some people are going to go down to the marathon and work the marathon marathon and hand out medals and chocolate milk. I've never understood why chocolate milk and running a race goes together. So if you're a runner, let me know. I got down there last year and I was like, chocolate milk? Like that's the last thing I want after I've just run from here to the back. But I don't want, but anyway, um, we're going to, so some will go down there. Some are going to work with a ministry called Home Street Home. That's all about our homeless community and loving them and giving them value. Some are going to go work at a farm just outside of, of town, just north of town, that provides fresh groceries, fresh crops for uh, homeless people and, and vets and all kinds of stuff there. Some are going to go to food pantries that, that, again, and I want you to hear that none of these things are wellhouse things because we want to be the embodiment of Christ going and partnering and holding hands with people in our community who are already serving and loving. And again, no strings attached. We're not going to walk in with a wellhouse banner and say, wellhouse is here to save the day. No, we're here to say, listen, we love 
love what you're doing in our community. Can we just for two or three hours partner with you in what you're doing and give you manpower and whatever else you need to make the best of your situation, the best of your morning? And so there's going to be 10, 12, 15 different things that you can sign up, no skill level, uh, all the way up to some maybe some, some handyman skill level. We've got a lot to do. So mar- uh, mark your calendars. April 28th, that's the only announcement I'm going to give you today. And I don't mind making that announcement because it has great residual effect on our community. And so I want you to know about it. And that's the kind of church that you're visiting this morning. It's a church that loves to be generous and we love to make uh, space where people can belong and feel connected and feel like, you know what, even if you don't believe like us or even if you don't behave, you can belong in this space this morning. So I just want to welcome you guys. I'm going to pray over our morning, and then we're just going to kind of dive into John chapter 20. Uh, I've got about 20, 25 minutes, and some of you are like, yeah, right. Uh, but, uh, and then we're going to get to, uh, to a little bit more worship, and then on with our day where you guys can spend time with family and friends and, and uh, just enjoy your Easter. But I just want to say thank you guys for being here. Father, this morning, we just pray that uh, you would speak through me. And that, God, everything that I say, I pray, comes from you, glorifies you, and causes curiosities about you. And so, Father, anything that's not of you, I just ask that it falls to the ground this morning and we walk over it as we leave. But anything that is from you and and could have great impact on our lives, God, I pray that there would be something that sticks. I pray that there would be something that causes, um, again, a question or a curiosity or that lingers into the afternoon or lingers into the week. And God, it would lead some of us to this search to know you more. And for some of us, it would lead a search to to get closer to you and, 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 and capitalize on every single moment of our life and live with great purpose. So, Father, I just pray you bless this morning. I'm so, so thankful, so grateful that you had the love and the motivation and the mind to look upon us and see that in our darkness and our struggle that we needed help, we needed rescue. So, Father, thank you for Jesus. And that's what today is about. It's what every day is about. And so, Father, we just pray that we lift him high today. And we pray this through your son's name. Amen. Uh, I love Easter. I can't say that loud enough. I absolutely love Easter. It's my second favorite holiday behind Christmas, and let's be honest, who can compete with Christmas, right? But I love Easter, and and the things I love about Easter is I love bunnies. I I had a bunny growing up. I remember uh, my mom and dad got an Easter bunny for us one time, and and I thought I would scare the bunny. Didn't know I was going to kill the bunny, but I thought I would scare the bunny, and I, I lit some firecrackers around it, and I guess it's heart exploded and welcome to well house. Isn't that terrible? I don't even know why I told that story. Uh, that's not even in my notes. Please, please come back. Um, uh, but I've always loved, I, I learned how to take care of the second bunny. Okay. So I was, I was a kid. Okay. I was a kid, but I love bunnies. I love candy. Uh, a couple years ago, I did a, a lesson and we talked about the best part of Easter is the day after Easter when all the candy goes on half price. And I made a, a comment that I love Reese's peanut butter eggs. Anybody else love Reese's peanut butter eggs? So here's what happens every Easter since then, there's eight, 10, 12 people that bring me these. And so thank you. Uh, but somebody brought me this, but I love the Easter candy. I love egg hunts. Yesterday was awesome. We had all of our kids out there, and they were hunting eggs. And, and, it, and you can kind of tell the difference between, like, the real little kids area and then the big kids area. The big kids know what are in the eggs, so the goal is to get as many eggs and then figure out what's in the eggs. Well, the little kids are like, they find one, and they sit down, and they want to open the egg. And I'm like, do you not realize that other kids are gaining ground on you? Get up and get the eggs. But I love egg hunts. I love family 
We're going to spend some time with family this afternoon, and I texted with my sister early this morning. We always text each other's uh, uh, Easter outfits, and so she sent me a picture of my nephews, and I sent her a picture, kind of a selfie of what I had on, which leads me to say I love the fun-colored clothing that comes with Easter, Uh, but you never outgrow Easter. My mom and I were reminiscing this last week, and she said, do you remember this one time when uh, you were little and you, you, because we were talking about clothing, and so I was like, ah, maybe, she goes, let me shoot you a picture. So she shot me this picture of me, <laughs> this is back before color, I guess, existed, um, but um, this outfit was like a pastel color, and, and uh, you know, but you never outgrow this. This was me a few years ago. Um, I've had four people ask me already this morning, where are the green pants? Well, let me just tell you, the green pants don't fit anymore, okay? So that's why you don't have the green pants. But I love this, the loud colors and all that goes with that. And I love the fact that it kind of brings out the kid in all of us, much like Christmas. I spent some time with uh, friends, some friends of ours this last week, and they have a 13-year-old, and then they have a one-year-old. And uh, I was with the 13-year-old, and I said, hey, you excited about Easter? And she said, well, Yeah. You know, looked at me like I was stupid, like, why would I not be? I said, well, why, why are you excited about it? I was curious, like, why would a 13-year-old love Easter? And she said two words, golden eggs. And I went, what? She goes, Nana puts money in golden eggs. And I was like, you're right, I remember. And so I, it's just one of those moments where, again, Easter brings out this kid-like wonderment in all of us. But have you ever wondered what bunnies and eggs and pastel floral colors have to do with the resurrection of Jesus? And at first glance, the short answer is not really a whole lot, but if you begin to kind of dive into this and you begin to understand what was going on, the long answer is that those things represent life. And today's about life. Today is that moment where we're going to dive in and we're going to see that, that we get life through those things. See, in, in early ancient Eastern cultures, all those things were symbols, bunnies and flowers and eggs. All those things were symbolism. They were, they were symbols of not only springtime, but they were symbols of, of new life. In fact, some historians say that hiding eggs in fields of flowers go way back because they wanted the kids to understand that when springtime rolls around, that not only the egg, but the flowers and all that goes with this is a representation of life. See, early on, the the early Christians, they set out to say, you know what, we want to intentionally choose to celebrate the resurrection of of Jesus in a way that, that, that highlights the life that comes with this resurrection, They wanted to highlight, and they said, we're going to go out of our way to create these symbols and and these traditions that go along with the resurrection of Jesus. That first Sunday morning, right after the Passover, and it was always an early spring, and so here we are. And so what happened over the course of time, and we still are feeling that because we're here today, over a period of time, Jesus becomes the springtime celebration. Among all the other pagan celebrations that happens around spring, what happens after the resurrection is that Jesus emerges as the celebration all around the globe. And there's people today that are going to be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, and they're going to be hiding symbols, whether they realize it or not, of life, of newness, of springtime. And so what we're celebrating 2,000 years ago is a Savior that brought life. And in doing so, he changed the world. So let me just ask you a question, and this is the question of the day. April 1st, 2018, 2,000 years after this moment went down, the question that we're going to wrestle with this morning for just a moment is this. What difference does it make? What difference does it make? 
Does, does Easter in 2018, does it really matter outside of candy and family and Easter bunnies? Does it really matter? Does it impact the way that I live out my daily life? Does it have any bearing on, on what it is I'll do tomorrow? Does it, does it shape, does it form us in any way? Does it make us better people? And what I found is that even at times, those of us who believe in Jesus and we embrace all that there goes with, with not just this moment, but all that, that goes with believing, even we sometimes have a hard time articulating those kinds of things uh, when it comes to the relevancy of our life. And, and so when I ask, does, does this stuff make a difference? We, we, we want to say yes. And so so today, I want to kind of begin answering that question. I want you to know that whether you have been following Jesus for a long time, I want you to go back today and revisit what this moment in time does for your life in this moment in time. And whether you're examining all this for the first time, and, and this is the first time that you've really kind of leaned in and asked questions, and you go, listen, I, I'm just not sure I'm there yet. I want to invite you to travel back with us to the first Easter Sunday. I want to invite you to travel back as we look at resurrection morning where Jesus appears to his, his followers. And what he does is he unveils for them the answer to the question, does this matter? And, and how is it going to shape your life? He gives them some very simple things. And I'm not even sure at the moment they fully understood it the way we don't fully understand it. But as we lean in and we begin to see it unfold, we walk away and they walked away different. And it made a difference. So John chapter 20 is where we're going to be. I'm going to put it on the screen for us. We're going to start in verse 19. This is right after Jesus has risen from the grave, and he is appearing back to his closest followers, people known as disciples. In verse 19, he says, On that evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were gathered together, the doors were locked for fear of Jewish leaders. And Jesus came in, and he stood among them. I love that the door was locked, but that didn't keep Jesus out. And he says, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and he showed them his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 30, Jesus performed many signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these, John says, are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. Guys, this is a game changing moment. When Jesus got up, when he walked out of the tomb and he walked into the room, again, he kicked the door down. When he walked into that room, he changed everything, not just for the disciples then, but he changed everything for you and I now. And the changes that I'm about to kind of unveil to you, the changes that he presents to them, they sound simple, but what we're going to see is that they're powerful. At first glance, they're really unassuming. They're not flashy. But what we see is that they are indeed transformational. They change us. They change us whether we're a novice and we're new at this or they can change us whether we've been doing this a long time. And what I, what I see in my own life as I lean into these things, again, when I begin to see them kind of just pop out from the page, what I see is like, I want those things. And I look around the world that I live in and I go, we need those things. 
And then I begin to continue to read, and what I see is that through God's grace, he has given us access through Jesus to these things. So I'm going to pull out a couple things, and if you write them down, they're all going to start with P. Here we go, number one. Here's what we see. We have peace. We have peace because of this moment. If you look back in verse 19, look what he says. He says, on the evening, the first day of the week when the disciples got together, it says, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then verse 21, it says, again, Jesus says, peace be with you. When he appeared to his disciples that first Easter Sunday, the first words that came out of their mouth, his mouth was, peace be with you. Just a few words earlier, what did you see? You saw the door was locked because they were fearful. They were fearful of their own life. They didn't know what was about to unfold. And again, I look around in my world and go, is there anything that our world needs more right now than to have Jesus walk into the room and go, peace be with you. Peace be with you. In fact, he goes on to kind of say it again, implying that peace is not just with you. Peace is me. Like peace is not just something you're going to go and get. Peace is who I'm here to represent. In fact, he goes on to be called what? The prince of peace. Jesus is providing what we all long for and what we all need. And he says, I'm standing. The moment that, that, that you are going to need, not just in the future, but in the moment right now where you feel unsettled, calm down. Peace is with you. See, and Jesus, when he spoke this word to them, I think he was was speaking more than just calmness. I think he was speaking more than just a moment of tranquility. What he's speaking to them, in fact, if you go back and kind of look at it in the Hebrew, he's saying there's a deeper meaning to this word. He's saying shalom, and it's loaded with meaning. Later, a, a follower of Jesus named Paul tries to describe what, what, what this moment meant. And he, he can't, and so he just says, listen, it's a peace. It goes beyond me just being calm in the mo moment. It goes beyond just feeling tranquil. He says, in fact, I, I can't even fully describe it. And he tells the people in, in Philippi, this little church, he says, listen, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding. He says, you're, you're going to experience a peace because of this moment. You're going to experience a peace in your life when you make Jesus Lord that you're not even fully going to be able to comprehend. You're not even fully going to be able to experience it uh, going into it with a full understanding. But when you get in that moment, you're going to understand, he says. But here's what it's going to do. It's going to transcend your understanding. But he says, in that moment, it's going to guard your heart and it's going to guard your mind in Christ Jesus. See, this peace that he's talking about, it's more than just being at peace with your neighbor because they play their music too loud. It's more than just being at peace with your coworker who clicks their pen all the time. It goes beyond the, the things that we, would, we look at and go, man, I would just love a moment of peace in my life where somebody's not making noise and the kids aren't acting crazy and leaving stuff all over the house. I would just love peace. He says, listen, we're going to go beyond that. Jesus is speaking of wholeness. Jesus is saying, wholeness is upon you. He says, completeness is upon you. He says, serenity, he says, harmony of life is upon you. It's not just calmness under pressure. He says, you're going to now experience a wholeness that you've never been able to experience, a completeness that you've never been able to experience, harmony with God in a way that you may have never experienced. And I just gotta ask, can you use some of that? Our world can use some of that. 
And again, it's more than just fighting with people and, and not being able to get along because you, the neighbor leaves the trash can out too long. It's more than that. And here's what he's saying is at the very center of this, he's saying it is that now because I stand before you alive, you get to experience peace with God. Reconciliation. That's a big churchy word that just means suddenly in this moment, you have the ability to be at harmony with God in a way that allows you to be made right with the one who breathed life into the universe. See, what you see is this goes all the way back to the beginning. He is completing something that has been in, in, in process now for generations and centuries. If you go all the way back to the beginning when God created humankind, when he created man, when he created woman, when he created Adam and Eve, he gave them in this moment a garden. He gave them paradise. And if you begin to look in Genesis, the beginning part of that, what you see is that they were in perfect paradise. They were in perfect harmony. It says that God came and would walk with them and talk with them. The animals behaved. I can't get my dog to sit when I ask. And, and the animals behaved, and it's this picture of perfect and complete harmony with God and with each other. And then if you know the story, what happens is tragedy hits. We mess it up. We sin. And then as a result of that, humanity is, is alienated, it's separated. There's this distance that's put between God. And this wonderful peace that was experienced in the beginning is suddenly shattered. And the earth and the animals and mankind and the hu entire universe is broken. And now we live in the effects of this. We still feel the brokenness around us. And here's what happens is that everyone since that moment, every one of us, we continue to sin and we continue to put distance between us and God. And no matter how hard we try, no matter what we do, we just can't seem to come up short of continuing to struggle and continuing to feel darkness and death. And you're going, wow, I'm glad I came to Wellhouse. This is really depressing. But here's the thing. This moment creates a different narrative. It creates a different ending. And so for generations as people have felt this distance from God, as we talked about in, in the beginning of our worship today, God says, listen, I'm going to do something that's going to cause that gap, that veil, that distance to be taken away. And in that moment when Jesus enters into the locked room and he says, peace be with you, there was a wholeness that came with that. There was a reconciliation to God. There was a harmony of God that was restored. And while our sin separates us from God, here's the good news is that God, through Jesus, made a way. He, he makes a way for us to be at peace. And God knew that if peace was ever going to be restored, it was going to be up to him to do that. Enter Jesus. So Jesus comes to live among us because he loves us. God devised this plan for him to, to go through struggle, to go through darkness, to go through death so that we didn't have to, so that we don't have to. And Jesus knew that this was the only way that we were ever going to be able to redeem ourselves out of this mess. And Jesus died. He rose from the grave so that we could have peace, so that we could be restored with God. So when Jesus enters that room that day and he says, I'm alive, he says, because I'm alive, you can be at peace. He says, because I live, you can be made whole with God. Because I live, you can have a relationship with the creator of the universe like you've never had before. You can experience his forgiveness and you can experience his love firsthand, up close and personal. You can experience his grace. You can experience his compassion. You get to experience peace 
Guys, I could stop right there, and that's good news. But he goes on. He says, not only do you get to experience peace, he says, but you have purpose. You have purpose. If you look at the rest of 21, look what he says. Jesus says, peace be with you, and as the Father has sent me, now I'm going to send you. Guys, one of the biggest topics of conversation that I have with people, and I, I have the privilege and honor and, and the fun of sitting in coffee shops and, and small group tables and all sorts of stuff through the years and just have conversation with people about life and struggle and death and, and good times and celebrations and all those sorts of things. But some version of this topic, of this conversation, of this question always enters the table more often than not, and it's this. Jason, what's next for me? It's, it's the question, what, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? Or is there deeper meaning to all this? You know, I just feel like I'm going through the motions, and, and I can't tell you the countless conversations. I did student ministry for about 15 years that I had with 15, 16, and 17-year-olds as they approached adulthood going, what does all this mean, and what am I supposed to do with it, and, and what, what's next for me, and what's this look like in college, and what's this look like as I date, and what does this look like as, and they fill in the blank, and, and what I've figured out through the years is not just students, because now that I'm in adult ministry, I'm finding that 30-year-olds wrestle with the same question, 40-year-olds wrestle with the same question, and then we get to 50, and we begin to hear that tick of the clock, and we go, what am I supposed to do? What? what What's the meaning of what I've got left? And we ask ourselves, where did I come from? And why am I here? And where am I going? And science does a good job answering part of that. And philosophy wrestles with that. But what I'm finding is that Jesus offers meaningful answers. And that's what he comes in and he says, he says, listen, let me give you purpose. See, I think that the, 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 the search for purpose and the struggle sometimes that we have with the meaning of life, the reason it puzzles us, I believe because we typically start at the wrong place when we search. If you're like me, I spend a lot of time, and there's times I still have to, 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 to try hard to stay in my, my proper lane. But I start my search for this question with me. See, I start the search, okay, what's the meaning of life? What's the purpose of life? And I typically go to things like this. I ask self-centered questions. I'm guessing I'm sort of like you. What do I want to be? What do I want to do with my life? How do I get ahead? Uh, what are my, my goals? What are my ambitions? What are my dreams? What, are my, what does my future look like? And how do I begin to formulate a plan that gets me to the future that I desire for myself? And focusing on ourselves never really fulfills, and that's why we visit this question so often. Because we get to that next level of achievement and we still don't feel full. Or we get to that, what we thought was the dream, or better yet, the dream changes and we end up in a place we didn't expect and we go, okay, what, what happened now? I guess life isn't as meaningful. And I want to tell you, it's not bad to have dreams. It's not bad to have goals. It's not bad to have ambitions. But here's what happens. When we accept Jesus as Lord, when we begin to embrace this moment as they are embracing this moment, everything changes. So what happens is those questions of life, those questions of my goals, my dreams, all those things, they become not put on the shelf. They become infused with Jesus. They become about him. And Jesus says, my coming back, my defeating the grave gives you purpose. He says, you got places to go, and I'm sending you into those places. So where was he sending them? Here's where he was sending them. He was sending them in to do life. 
He was sending them in everywhere. He says, in other words, here's what I want you to do. I want you to step into, now that you've made me Lord, I want you to step into being a representative of me. I want you to res- represent, I want you to be on mission. And that message, that mission is simple. It's just share the message of what you are witnessing in this moment. He says, go and share and be agents of my love and my mercy. You know what I've, I've spent three years showing you how to do? Now just go and do that. Be representatives of my mercy. So when you intertwine and when you intermingle, when you begin to cross with culture, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, the, the barista, when you have these moments with your relatives, just represent me. And he says, listen, use your love. Use your life. If you have to, use your lips to tell and testify of the power of the cross and the hope of a risen Savior. Now, don't get bogged down in the sending portion of this. It's not like I'm going to ask you to move to Tanzania. Jesus is not asking you to move to Tanzania. Here's what he's doing. He says, I'm sending you into the space that you already currently occupy, but to do something different while you're there. Oh, you can continue to be a teacher, but be a teacher who loves your students like I would love them, who is patient with the one who causes all sorts of disruption. He says, I I don't need you to be a missionary, but I need you to be a mechanic who's honest. And, And I want you to treat people as I would treat people. And he says, I want you to to be a nurse that through the the miracle of science ministers to people and lets them know that there is a God who loves them, who created their body but can heal their body. I want you to be be a salesman or a student or a teammate or a parent. Just be people who live on purpose. And that purpose doesn't change necessarily your vocation. What it does is it allows you to step into your vocation with a different purpose. And here's what's going to happen. When you live into that, job is not such a drag anymore. You can tolerate things. You can put up with people that you didn't think you could for a long term because you're living with a different purpose. And he says, I'm sending you just like the Father sent me. Well, what did the Father send him to do? Love people, to be sacrificial to spread grace and to spread mercy. And he says, that's what I'm doing. So go, go, live. And he says, it's about me, and that's why you're created. See, Paul sheds light on this when he talks about how and why we were created. In Colossians chapter 1, look what, what Paul writes. He says, Christ is the invisible image of the invisible God. So when we see Jesus, we see God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Everything was created through him and for him. You and I were created through him and for him. And because of this moment in a locked room, I get to look and begin to understand and envision why I was created. That I get to live into why I exist and what I'm supposed to be doing with my time on earth because he lives my life has purpose, and because he lives and entered into their room, they began to understand their purpose. And then finally, there's one more hidden thing in here. John kind of summarizes this moment. And I got to imagine that his hand was shaken because he has just two things. I think, number one, he is probably overjoyed, it says. He has seen his friend and Savior. But I think he's giddy. I think he's ready. I think he's like wanting to bust the door down from the other side now and say, let's get to this. And here's what he pins. He says, at at the end of this, he reveals something. He says that these things are written. And I believe John had you and I in mind in these moments. 
He says that these things are written that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing that he unveils something, you may have life in his name. He reveals that we have promise, that God is a God of promise, and he's not just a promise maker. He's a promise keeper, and he says, listen, this moment signifies that I've kept my deal. Guys, the promise rings all throughout the story. You may not be a Bible reader, so can I just encourage you? I want to challenge you to something. Just stay in John. That's where we're at today. John's short. It's not very long. I want you to start in John chapter 1. If you go home curious today and go, man, you know what? I really do need to just start in John chapter 1. And I believe that time you get to the end of John, where we are today in John 20, your life's going to change. And what you're going to begin to do and see is that this is not just a one-time promise. Jesus was always making this promise. This promise rings throughout the story over and over and over. John chapter 1. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He says that he is the beginning with God. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. And then listen to this. Right out of the gate in John, he says, in him was life. And the life was the light of mankind. It's light that shines into darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Then you flip the page, John 3, 16, which you probably have seen. What? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but what? Have life. Flip the page, John chapter 4, he's visiting with a woman who has a really dark past and is into some pretty shady things, can't keep a husband, can't keep relationship. She's hiding from the world and she's hiding from the culture and Jesus says, listen, whoever drinks, they're sitting beside of a well, a public place. And Jesus says, listen, whoever drinks of this water from the well, you're going to get thirsty again. But he says, the water that I give you, talking about this message of peace and purpose. He says, the water that I give to you will come up within them a spring of water welling up to eternal, and here's our word, life. Flip the page. John chapter 8, he meets a woman that was caught in the act of adultery. They drag her out to the street, and so all this is happening. And so after all this scene goes down, Jesus said to the Jews who began to believe in him, He says, if you hold to my teaching, he says, you're really my disciples. And he says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We sang about that a minute ago. It's a free life. It's life that is suddenly now not not burdened with some of the things, some of the brokenness. Yeah, we're going to experience some of those things. And we talked about that in a series that we just wrapped up. And there are going to be some struggles and some hard times in life. But Jesus says, you don't have to live bound. You don't have to live enslaved. John chapter 10, he says, I have come that they may have life, Jesus speaking. He says, I've come so that you can have life. And then he takes it a step farther. He says, and so that you can experience it to the full, that you can have life to the fullness. Guys, I could, I could do this till sundown. All throughout Jesus's ministry, he talked about a promise of life, but it wasn't until he entered that room as a dead man risen from the grave, that John said, now I get it. The promise of life is upon us. And in this moment when we believe in him and we surrender our lives to him, this is the most beautiful thing. See, I used to read this promise and think that it was talking about only eternal life. And what I realized is that not only do we get to anticipate eternal life, I get to participate in a new full life 
as I am being sent. And Jesus begins to connect these things. See, the promise of everlasting life becomes the heartbeat of hope that we live our current life with. And the resurrection of Jesus ensures that we get to experience life then and now to the fullest. So we kind of land this. I just want to say it again. I love Easter. And I love Easter because of the candy. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tear into these. I'm going to wear my floral shirt today with pride. And I love Easter because I'm going to see pictures of your kids posted in their florals and their pastels with eggs more than they can eat. And I'm going to go home and I'm going to grill out some steaks with family. And I love all those things. But more than anything, I love Easter because of Jesus. I love Jesus. It's the celebration of of, of Jesus rising from the grave, conquering death, and in doing so, he gives me peace. I get to live with purpose. I get to live into a promise. Guys, that's what today is about. And and that's why we're here. That's why we meet. That's why our greeters stand in the parking lot with goofy signs that says free high fives. That's why, that's why our leaders, that's why our, our singers and our band players, that's why we're here. That's why our shepherds are here. That's why our kids staff is here. That's why our coffee makers are here. That's why anyone who follows Jesus, that's why we're here, is to help you and to help each other find him and get to know him. So if you don't walk away with anything else today, know that Jesus deeply loves you. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to move into a moment of response. If you're new with us, don't be afraid of this moment. We told you there's no expectation, and that continues through this next moment. But I want you to know something, that God loves you more than you and I will ever be able to fully understand, than we'll ever be able to comprehend. And and this giving of his son and, and Jesus is about life. Apart from him, we we die. But in him, we live. And I just want you to know that if you want to continue exploring and experiencing what Easter is all about, even post-Easter, lean in. Ask a question. There's no bad questions. There's no dumb questions. There's no stupid questions. If you want to live with purpose and you want to live into this peace and into this promise, just ask. We love to tell the story, not just from the stage, but we love to tell the story on a personal level. So drop us an email, text, whatever you need to do. But one of the things that we do every Sunday is that we commune together. See, we are a community of imperfect people. And part of that, the reason that we're able to to, to create such an environment that allows all of us to belong and all of us to feel welcome is because of what Jesus did when he gathered a bunch of ragtag guys around a table and says, listen, let's create community. So he did this thing called communion, and we do that every Sunday because we want everybody, regardless of where you come from and what you've done, we want you to know that there's always a seat at my table. See, if you come to my house and eat, there's always going to be an empty seat, and if not, there's going to be four more in the garage that I can pull out. Because we understand how important it is to let everyone pull up to the table and enjoy the meal. And Jesus says, listen, everybody's welcome at my table. And so we're going to participate in communion, and what you're going to find there is you're going to find a little piece of bread, you're going to find a little cup of juice, and those things just represent a big part of this story. They represent a body that was broken for us and blood that was shed for us. Don't freak out at that. Just symbolism of him loving us to the point of death 
But what's also at that table is the hope that's provided by the resurrection. That death is not the end. Death is not where the story ends. Death with Jesus is where it begins for you and I. And so we want you to participate in that together with friends and family. If you're not down with that, that's cool to stay where you are. These guys are going to continue to play. But if you'd like to, we want you to know we practice open communion, meaning that it is open for anyone. You don't have to be a partner here. You don't have to have a long-standing history of religion and church. Just go and participate with others who are seeking to be changed, be transformed, and molded by a risen Savior. Father, this morning as we enter into communion, as we respond to your grace and mercy, as we respond to the story of the resurrection, God, I pray that it begins to change and transform our lives, whether we've done this for five minutes or 55 years. God, we will begin to live with you as the centerpiece. That God, as we gather around tables where you are the centerpiece, God, I pray that we feel at peace. We leave that table with purpose. We begin to live into the promise. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed to the tables. They're all around the back and the front. Please fill it home.